Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Peak Community Church. Really glad that you're with us this morning. Let's pray. Father, you gather us today through your Spirit in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we are so grateful to be gathered by you and not by other things. We're grateful that the thing we have in common this morning is um, your Son, his life, death, and resurrection. Lord, we invite your spirit once again into our hearts. We ask you to remove the scales over our eyes, remove the hard ground that crusts over our hearts. And once again, Lord, stir the soil so that we may flourish and bear good fruit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Petter Eben was born with a double curse. The, the two curses he was born with was that his father was Jewish and his mother was a Christian. Now, today this wouldn't be a very big deal. We would never refer to this as a curse. But if you were born in Europe at the beginning of the last century, then having parents like this was a big problem. When he was a child still, he was sent to a concentration camp with his brother, even though he was a Christian. He was sent to Buchenwald. Petter remembers being forced into the showers there. And he had heard stories about the showers. And he was terrified of what would be coming out of the shower heads. When it was water, he felt immense relief, but he never, ever, ever forgot that moment. After the war, Petr had survived, and he studied and settled in Czechoslovakia behind the Iron Curtain. This was the beginning of the second curse of his life. He was a Christian in a communist country. He was persecuted for it. He's considered one of the great composers of the last century, especially with the pipe organ. And many of his organ works were um, scrutinized by censors, communist censors, for signs of, of Christian messages, and so he had to hide them. He would hide the tunes inside of his organ works so that they couldn't find them. Or he would have these obscure titles for some of his pieces, like, like Sunday Morning, or um, Windows, red, blue, yellow, green. They were a reference to stained glass windows in churches, but he had, to, he had to be vague and evasive about it. Just this last week, I got to hear one of these great organ works. It's called The Job Cycle. It's about the biblical story of Job. And it was performed on a pipe organ by Joel Bacon, just down the street from here at the Arts Center, CSU. And I want to talk a little bit about this work. And as I talk about it, I want to use it as a way of, of explaining what's going on in our scripture this morning in John 12. So first, let me read this scripture in John 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served. And Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard 
anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The first thing we need to see in the scripture is that Mary is an artist, or at the very least, a prophet. What's going on? At this point in Jesus' life, he is a dead man walking. As soon as he raised Lazarus from the tomb, the clock started ticking on his life. He had just become too well-known, and he had become far too dangerous. He threatened the religious establishment, and so he had to be eliminated. That's what's kind of hanging over this whole scene. That's what's hanging over the meal. And there are basically two responses to this open secret. The first response is we just, we don't know how to talk about it. We don't know how to say what's going on. Um, if you've, if you've heard the now popular song or seen, if you have kids and seen the Disney movie Encanto, then you're familiar with the song, we don't talk about Bruno. Well, they are thinking we don't talk about Jesus. We cannot talk about Jesus. Something is about to happen to Jesus and we don't know how to talk about it. So what does Mary, Martha do? Martha does what she always does and it's what she does best, she serves. What does Lazarus do? Lazarus, I mean, he's just happy to be alive, right? So he's, he's there, I'm happy to be here. But they're not talking about the elephant in the room. The other response to this thing is Judas's response. Judas's response is to lie, just outright lie lie about what's going on, spin the reality, deceive, divert, look over there, we should, we should, we should be involved in charity, we should have a program for, for homeless people, I mean, we, we should do this good thing and not talk about this thing that's right in front of us. And in the middle of it all is Mary with Jesus. She takes a bottle of perfume worth one year's wages, tens of thousands of dollars in today's dollars. Breaks it, spills it all over Jesus's feet, and wipes his feet with her hair. The sight of the hair and the broken bottle was an absolute shock and scandal. The smell of the perfume would have been absolutely overwhelming. John says it filled the entire house. It's confusing, it's troubling, it's a prophetic act, and it's a work of art. Two things that result from this. Two, two things happen. Two things are accomplished in what Mary does. The first is that she helps everybody to grapple with the thing no one's talking about. She helps everybody to see what's really going on. She helps everyone face reality. We normally think of artists as people who, who kind of veer away from reality, who, who are sort of you know, in a, in a world of their own, in a sort of fantasy world. It's not true. The great artists help us see what is actually happening 
in the present. An innocent man is going to be killed. We have to face it. That's what she says to them. And she does it by, by anointing his feet, which is an act of burial. So she's basically saying, he's as good as dead. I'm anointing him. His body, I'm anointing him for burial. He is as good as dead, people. Look at it. Look at it. And they can't turn away. And if they try, their noses won't let them. The depth of the tragedy and the injustice is injustice of the fact of the waste of the perfume. Nothing has value in the face of this horror of what is about to happen. No one can ignore it, and despite Judas's protest, no one can mask it. The lies fall away. Peter even managed to speak about Job's suffering without reducing it to something that, um, th this is normally what we do with suffering. We do one of two things. We either, we either um, sort of reduce suffering to something that makes sense. You know, well, it, it was obviously caused by this. You know, it's, we, we want answers for suffering. We always want an explanation for suffering. But the other, the, on the other hand, what we do is we sort of fall into this like complete absurdism or nihilism where, where nothing has any meaning at all. And, and, and if, there is, if there is suffering, then there can't be anything that's true or good or beautiful in the world. And we go to these two sides, but Petter Eben was able to hold the middle, hold this idea of suffering and, and to be able to depict it in his work as something that is absolutely horrifying and incomprehensible, and yet also able to be held and contained and to be looked at and understood. He was able to get this from the book of Job itself, which does exactly that. If you've read the book of Job recently, no easy answers there. No easy answers. This is one of the oldest, oldest things ever written. And it was a revolution in its time, and I would say it's still a revolution because of this. Before this, people thought, well, if something bad happens to me, it was probably my fault. You know, I, if my crops fail or whatever it is, it's probably because I did something wrong, wrong. Job comes along and says, nope, you can be a great human being and still suffer horribly. Job holds that difficult tension about evil in Peter Evans' um, uh, uh, work, Organ Cycle, does the same thing, holds it as a mystery. Jesus regularly talks about those with eyes to see and ears to hear. Paul writes about the eyes of our heart. It's not whether we have imaginations, because we all do and we all use them all the time. They are constantly active. The question is whether or not our imaginations are rooted and engaged in what is actually going on in the world right now. Whether or not our imaginations are present in our bodies, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, or are they keeping us detached in some way? Are our imaginations feeding on lies? Or are they rooted in reality? If we find ourselves comfortable in lies, if we find ourselves consuming lies, so that we can cover up the complexity of what's actually going on. If we find ourselves shielding us from suffering, then the artist as prophet is needed 
to shake us, to shock us back to reality. And that's exactly what Mary of Bethany is doing here. Look at what's going on. The second thing she's doing, that's not all she's doing. Second thing she's doing is this. The person I could think of when I was writing this sermon is someone named Flannery O'Connor. Flannery O'Connor was a southern, um, mainly short story writer, fiction writer, um, in the middle of the last century. And O'Connor was known for this sort of shock of reality and suffering that opens up this possibility of, an, of a new future. So she, she wrote these, char- these poor, poor characters. Every character in her story is just suffers, suffers miserably. I would hate to be one of her characters. Um, and they're all, they're all, it's something that sort of, you know, one falls off a tractor, um, another one's confronted by a misfit with a gun on the side of the road, um, another one has a book thrown in her face. I mean, it's, it's just, she's relentless with her characters, their suffering. Um, but none of them are, are left with a sort of like insensibility about the world. Like that, that evil is just this senseless kind of, you know, th- this is just the way the world is. You know, so, so people in Job's time thought that all of suffering was for a reason. Now we tend towards the other thing where it's just like absurdist and senselessness and nothing means anything anymore. All of O'Connor's characters realized that suffering would open up the possibility of something new, a new future, one that no one had imagined before. So if we look back at Mary, when, when she breaks that extremely expensive perfume bottle, I can imagine like the gasps, you know, what is she doing? When she breaks that open, she anoints his feet, the fragrance fills the whole house. It's as if to say, Yes, he might die, but he won't die in a way that you imagine death. He will give off not a stench, but a fragrance. A fragrance that will lead to something that is new in the world, something that we have never anticipated. It will fill, just like that fragrance filled the house, it will fill the whole world. Maybe she knew it, maybe she didn't, but she was pointing to the Holy Spirit. Karl Barth thought that art is best understood underneath the category of gratitude, of giving thanks. Gratitude for a promised future, a future that comes to us not as a threat, but as a gift. A future in which we really shall be well, in which nothing we fear can ultimately happen to us. Heaven, the kingdom, eternal life. If that is the future that we have in front of us, then that future is coming at us, or we are hurtling into it. It, it, we're, We're wrestling with that future. We have to live our lives in light of that future. And so how do we do that? How, how, do we, how, do we, how do we adapt our lives in such a way to say, well, it's not all going to end in, in absurdity and meaninglessness. It's actually going to end well, all shall be well. And so what do we, how do we live now? Imagine that we are a group of thespians. You know what a thespian is? It's, a, it's an actor, okay? 
So imagine we're a troupe, and we're sort of a ragtag group, but we specialize in Shakespeare, okay? And someone comes along and says, hey, you'll never believe it. We found a lost play of Shakespeare's. And of course, we all rejoice because we love Shakespeare, and we all, we all know how to perform Shakespeare. But there's a catch. Catch is this. They have all the acts, five acts, except for the fourth. The fourth act is missing. And so the person who brings this to us says, you know, we know how the play ends. We know it's comedy and it's gonna end great. And we know how we get to the climax, the third act. So we know, you know, the main parts of it, but we wanna perform this play. We don't have the fourth act, so here's what we're gonna have you do. We want you to improvise the fourth act. We want you to take everything that's before and we want you to take how the play ends and in the middle, we want you to improvise, to just figure it out. Now we know you're not going to do it perfect. You know, we know it's not going to be ideal, but you all are the people to do it. Why? Because you know Shakespeare. You get it. And you know how the play ends. That's kind of what Bart's getting at when he's talking about what it means to, 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 to live in light of this future ahead of us. Petter Eben, his organ work was primarily improvisation. That's how it started. Eventually he, he turned it into a written um, piece and it still has moments of improvisation in there, but it started out as an improvisation. And what he would do is he would take familiar tunes of the Christian church. So like um, uh, he had uh, old Czech hymns and folk songs and, and, and uh, Lutheran hymns and even the Gregorian chant. And he would take those and he'd weave it into this complex story about suffering and evil that Job was facing. And he went into it saying, I know how this organ score is supposed to end. I know how the story of Job ends, but I'm going to see what happens when we bring in these tunes and bring them together with the discord and the chaos of evil and suffering. What happens when we put them together? And I don't have words for it. I would love to explain exactly how this all goes, but all I could do was listen to it this past week and be simply overwhelmed. All it was was some metal and air and wood and a guy doing his magic on the thing with the pedals. I know tons about music. And, and I don't have words for how he did it, but, but I was overwhelmed by the ability of this guy, not, not just Petter even, but also the organist, Joel Bacon, to be able to show me how good is redeemed in the midst of suffering. This, this is what we are called to. Yes, yes, this is a special call to artists and artists have a particular role in our life together, but all of us in some way or another are called to do more than just learn the facts. We are called to take the future that God has promised us and to live out as though that future we're beginning to break into the world now, like dawn breaking into the world.
as we look toward Holy Week, let us be among those who stand around Mary and Jesus. But let's not be the deceiver and let's not be somebody who ignores it. Let's look head on at what Mary is doing in the midst. You might be busy serving like Martha, or you might just be happy to be here like Lazarus. Or maybe there's some part of you that is a betrayer, that is holding on to a lie that you need to let go of, trying to cover up some reality about yourself or the world. In any case, let us prepare once again for the shock of the waste and the betrayal. Let us look unflinchingly at the horror and the injustice of the powers in this holy week. Let's be unsettled and do it all in order to be plunged headlong once again into the great mystery of death that tramples down death. And the first fruit of the promise that one day the glory of the Lord will fill the whole earth like that fragrance filling the house. And in that day, death and evil shall be no more. Let us be those people. Let us prepare our hearts for precisely that. Amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. And may he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Go in peace. Amen.